Welcome to the Haunted Hacker podcast number, we'll do March version three. Um, and uh, tonight we have Tanya on, and I'll let Tanya introduce herself here in a little bit. Uh, but before we get started, I'll go over a little bit of news. Um, just got done with the documentary filming. Uh, I think it'll be really cool once it comes out. Um, I can't really say what the title is or who it's for yet until post-production and uh, they make the announcement. Um, but it's really exciting. Uh, also, I'll be speaking in Washington, D.C. in April for TechStrong um, and doing a workshop on hacking mobile phones. So if you want to learn how to hack mobile phones, make sure you uh, go to D.C. and join. So with that, without further ado, Tanya, it's a pleasure finally getting you on the show. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm glad this could work out. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I know your background and, you know, We Hack Purple is amazing, Neural Legion. Tell us a little bit about, about what you do and how you got into cyber. So I used to be a software developer. So I started coding when I was a teenager and both my aunts and most of my uncles are all computer scientists. So when I announced, I want to go to computer science school, there no one was surprised. And so I was a software developer a really long time. And then I met a guy in a band and I was in a band and we both played musical instruments. And so obviously our band should play together, but he was also a pen tester and he worked at my office and he said, you know, you'd be a really good pen tester. And I was like, are you kidding? I'm the king of IT. I write software. This is the best possible IT job a person could have. And he kept just kind of bugging me about it for a year and a half. And then one day he's like, listen, I said I was never going to mentor anyone ever again, but you're just too awesome. Okay, that's it. Let's do it. And I was like, well, okay, that, yeah, like, oh, this sounds fun. I'm curious. And so very quickly, uh, I had a job pen testing and very quickly, I was doing so many things. And very quickly, I realized that application security was actually where I belong because I didn't even know that existed. I thought that everyone in security was either a pen tester, the firewall guy, or they did like risk and compliance sorts of things and wrote lots of documents and had a lot of very serious checklists. And I was like, I don't fit into any of those three categories, right? And then it's like, oh, there's actually one where you just hang out with software developers all day. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the one for me. <laughs> That's, that's pretty awesome. AppSec is really big. Um, I got my first exposure to AppSec when I met Arsenic, Robert Hansen, and Jeremiah Grossman uh, when they were with White Hat. And that was my first exposure to real AppSec and, and code scrubbing and code development. Um, so once you got into pen testing, how did you how did you navigate through that and what kept you from wanting to go to the network side and to the actual you know like red teaming and stuff like that? Well, basically, um, so I, I actually at first ended up accidentally becoming a CISO, which sounds confusing, <laughs> but basically I, I joined the security team at the place I already worked. So I had been leading a dev team. We'd completed this giant project and then I managed to find a spot on the security team and I was doing like any project they would let me do. Uh, and I was in charge of making sure all the vulnerabilities got remediated in our software. So then due to some, so I'm from Canada and in the federal government, bilingualism is a big thing. They really want to support the Francophones within Canada and they're a minority. And so if you reach management levels, you have to be able to speak French. And so 
they're like, oh, we keep getting complaints that the CISO can only speak English and it's been a few years. Let's let Tanya, who speaks both official languages, be the CISO for just four months while nothing's going on. Um, and you know, we'll just let her do that for just like a few weeks so we can check that box. And then on day three, the director said, we've never had such a good CISO, this is your job now. That's pretty, um, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. Um, but then my professional mentors eventually convinced me, he's like, no, you're, you're meant to do technical work. Being a manager is gonna make you bored. Like you've been a manager a few times and I'd stepped back down repeatedly because being a manager and taking, not getting my hands dirty anymore, I guess I got really restless. And so I got a full-time pen testing job with his help. And then I kept doing AppSec. So my new boss was like, Tanya, stop going over and talking to the devs all the time. And I would say like, oh, can I just show up earlier? And they're like, oh, but we don't need a pen test for like three months from now. I'm like, oh, can I come now just for one hour? And then I would threat model with them and I'd map out their entire architecture. And I'd be like, oh, there's a problem here. And I'm like, oh, and I ran a few quick scans. And if you could just fix these things. And so I kept doing that thing called shifting left. So starring security earlier in the system development life cycle, just naturally, I was like, oh my gosh, don't wait till the end. Let me help you now. And my manager was getting so frustrated with me. He's like, Tanya, our job is to come in at the end and tell them how wrong they are. What are you doing? Like, and he would say I was cheating because I would tell the devs as I was testing and then they would push fixes and then I would retest those. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> And then I got offered a full-time AppSec job and I said, yes. But see, that that's so awesome though, because I, I think the traditional way of pen testing is completely wrong. And, you know, I, I really hate going into a company and hearing people say, well, you know, I, I hate when people throw the bathwater at me or say that my baby's ugly and, and you know, they, they give me an F and then they walk away. And that's not what we're there for. We're there to, to, to help them achieve a certain level of security. It's like a, a partnership. Um, but there are companies out there who just want to like slash on the paper and just be done with it. You know, and I, I really hate that. Um, I actually uh, ran into a CISO or CTO um, at a conference this past week in, in Pennsylvania uh, for the Department of Education. And he said, I don't believe in pen testing anymore. I haven't done one in five years because... All I do is get reports to say that everything is great. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, you know, let, let, let's talk about these pen tests. You know, what, you know, let's get a better idea of what's happening. Um, and it turns out that, you know, the companies he had hired weren't necessarily giving him real pen tests. It was more like a vulnerability scan and it was just checking a box and walking off. And I think that's the biggest issue with, uh, with our industry in general is there's so many fly-by-night type companies will pop up and they just want to check a box and grab the cash and run. Um, so I like to do things a little different too. I, I like to be able to help them achieve a certain level and help them get there with their help and my help together. Uh, sort of like a trusted advisor type role. So it sounds to me like that's exactly what you're doing. And that's really awesome. I think also maybe because I came from the software development phase and then so I don't know if you've ever been an employee and then been a consultant, but as an employee, it's like, I own this house. I live in it. And if I'm going to do a renovation, I'm going to do the absolute best job using the best tools and everything. But if you're a consultant, it's like you asked me to install a door. 
I installed a very good door. The fact that everything around the door is broken and your windows are broken and all these other things, I'm not gonna look there because that's not what you asked me to do. But when you're an employee, you're like, oh no, this window is broken, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna, and you end up, that's why you're full time, right? And I felt it was really difficult to walk away when it was done. And my boss, for obvious reasons, got frustrated with me. She's like, Tanya. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was always that guy that would show up early and do scans on the network, probably that, that weren't authorized and find all the vulnerabilities and go, wait, wait a minute, we can't do this. And then everybody would be in a tizzy. But what I found is like, like you said, spending time with the other groups and traditionally like security, when people heard the word security, then it was like automatically they hear the, the Star Wars Imperial March in the background. You know, they don't want to deal with security as the bad guys. Um, but I found that like spending time, like you said, with these different groups of people and different business uh, business lines actually created that that bond that, that was needed to bring security into the picture and made it a lot easier. Is that what you found? Like, you know, spending time with them, it made that approach a lot easier. Yes. I also find that if you take the attitude of, okay, so I'm here to help you do your job better, right? So I'm going to help you by giving you some guidance, or I'm going to help you by like showing you how to use a tool or whatever the thing is. And when it was more like, I'm here to coach you to the finish line so that you're awesome versus I'm coming in at the end and telling you all the mistakes you made when I wasn't there to help you the whole way through. I, I remember someone telling me once, so the, the software developers had written us and they're like, listen, we're going to, we're going to design one of these for the first time, whatever the thing was. And he's like, can I have some guidance? And the risk analyst person said, are you kidding? That's cheating. <laughs> and, and they were very convinced at that one place that I worked that it was their job to like, like a teacher to, to mark all the things that were wrong. I'm like, yeah, but a teacher shows them the way and then verifies at the end if they learned it or not we have, of course we're going to show them and they're like you're you know you're wasting quote unquote wasting all this time i'm like no 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 i assure you i'm not because they're not going to have to re-architect the app later because we found all these flaws at the beginning and it took a while to kind of change the culture as i continued there and then i i left i'm like why are you leaving i'm like because none of you want to do security right right and like a, a bunch of the people were very excited, but a bunch of the managers kept stopping us. And I was like, I don't have time to work for people that aren't passionate. I'm sorry, I got to go. <laughs> yeah. And, and you have to be picky sometimes. You know, there, there's been a couple of times in my career where I knew it just was not going to be a good fit. And not because it wasn't a great organization, but more because that my thoughts on security didn't necessarily align with their thoughts. Um, and yeah. I think that's really important for people to pick and choose. It's, it's important to interview a company as you're being interviewed too, I think. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's actually why uh, I ended up joining Microsoft. I had a lot of people say, oh, I thought you would do some sort of open source thing or all these other things. And I'm like, they are so serious about security. They are so serious. I'm going to get to learn like leading edge things. I'm going to have the opportunity to positively influence all these things that could affect millions of people. This is amazing. And I learned a lot of security when I was there. It was really awesome. Yeah, that's funny because I, I think our paths kind of centered at that point too, because back in 2005, um, I interviewed with Microsoft for the code scrubbing be a, a PM of the code scrubbing. And I thought it was really cool. Unfortunately, 
my career at that time wasn't aligned for that, that shift, but it was a really interesting organization. And I still have friends that, that work there. And I think that, you know, what they do is pretty amazing as far as like the life cycle of security within the development chain. I think it's really awesome. So tell me about We Hack Purple and, and you know, the, the idea behind We Hack Purple. So uh, when I left Microsoft, I was to start a startup with a friend. And because of the way, um, so like when you work for a giant company like that, they own your ideas. So we couldn't start development until I had formally resigned, right? But we'd talked a lot and we felt pretty sure. And so I quit and then we started doing stuff. And within nine weeks, it's like, we're gonna murder each other. <laughs> like, but it turned out like, all of our talking in advance was great. However, you know, he wanted to go this way and I wanted to go that way. So I'm like, let's call it quits before we completely destroy our friendship, right? So that was good that we stopped before because sometimes founders really don't like each other after and we wanted to avoid that. And so then I was like, what am I going to do? And in the meantime, I put on Twitter like, you know, unfortunately, this didn't work out. I don't know what I'm going to do next. Does anyone want to hang out on the Internet? because I'd never, I'd been so busy up until that point. So I met with all these different people and all these different people said, okay, so I know you don't wanna know, you don't, you don't know what is next for you, but could you come train my devs? Like, could you just like come for a day and talk to us and just show us the thing? I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And then another person and then another person. And then I met with this friend uh, named Karen Worstall and she was like, Tanya, I want you to open a school. And I was like, uh, I, I don't know. She's like, no, seriously, you can do this. She's like, you know, all this stuff. And we talked about how, so I, I don't know about you, but I have found training very expensive. When I was switching from software development to security, I was shocked at how expensive it was. And I'm Canadian, so I get paid in Canadian dollars, or I did at that point. And we also have very, very high tax compared to some countries. So around half of the money goes to tax. And so I looked at it and I looked at the exchange rate and I was like, it's gonna be 20% of my disposable income, including like what I pay my rent with for the entire year to take one course. Yep. And I, I was like, I can't possibly justify that. Like, am I gonna remortgage my house so that I can take one or two courses? And so I was trying to learn on the internet and all these things. And so when I was at Microsoft, they're like, you should write a book. And so I had started writing the book at this point. And she's like, make, make classes and then lots of people can take them and it'll be way more affordable. And so my first courses were 99 bucks and the most expensive courses we ever had are 499, but then we always have sales. And, um, and so basically we've made it significantly cheaper to be able to enter the industry doing AppSec or secure coding. And the prices ironically have come down and down versus up and up, um, which has been pretty good. And the thing is, is we make almost all of our money from renting me out to do live training, like two thirds or more is from that. And all of our expenses are for running the academy and making courses so that it's affordable. So the academy basically just breaks even every mm -hmm. month. And a lot of people are like, oh, like you're charging so much. I'm like, I literally can't charge less or I can't afford to run the academy. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not right. trying to be a jerk. Like I have to pay my employees, right? Right. Um, but it's shocking to me, one, that my courses can be that cheap and companies are like, I don't care. I'll pay 10 times that for you to come in in person because people will sit their butts down. They'll listen. We can ask you super confidential questions like 
we have this like two day thing where I like build their whole AppSec program with them for their company, right? And so it's pretty different. Um, but the fact that I've been able to like put tons of people through our program and like at first, uh, until re basically like November of last year, or December of last year, I had a staff member that would work with them to find them jobs. And then there were just so many, but we had something like a 99% rate of them finding an AppSec job in the first 90 days. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, That's really awesome. Exciting. So, you know, you, you brought up one thing that I'm very passionate about, and it's the cost of training to get into security. Even if it's an entry-level position and they require, you know, these certifications, these certifications are extremely expensive. And I think that we, as an industry, we really need to look at certification industry and, and maybe revamp it because, you know, when, when someone's required to get, you know, just throw this out there, and I'm not a big fan of the cert, but if someone's required to get a CEH and you go and you look at the price to get that, tell me what kid out of college is going to be able to afford to get that type of training or certification. And so what I did was I started a, a nonprofit for veterans because I'm a veteran. I focus on veterans to, to get into the workforce and to, to provide scholarships and, and money for certifications for those people because people just can't afford it. And I don't know where we went wrong as an industry as far as making that the rule of thumb that you must have these certifications in order to get a job and you must pay $10,000 to get the certification. But I, you know, I don't know about you, but I really wish that they would take another look at that and, and take in consideration those people that are from diverse backgrounds that don't have that type of money, you know? Oh, yeah. um, we had Purple started a diversity scholarship in late 2020. And we've put, um, so not all of them have finished it because some of them are doing full-time jobs and it takes a while, right? And it's multiple courses that it takes to graduate, but over 100 people have gone through to become, so not all of them have graduated yet. I think 40 or 50 have graduated. And then of that, 70% uh, are women of color. And so I just started giving them away for free at first. And then individuals started writing me and telling me like, I'll give you a thousand bucks if you put that in. So then what we do is we match it at a rate of two to one. So then we'll put three oh. people through the entire program. And then um, I don't know if you've heard of Luta Security, Katie Missouri. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then she wrote me and she's like, Luta wants to buy a whole bunch. How much does that cost? And then, and then um, Slack and then um, Bridge Crew and then like, and then um, where are they called? Selvo Cloud and then Hermet and just all these companies that are giving us money and they're like, you know, people say they want to do something about diversity and then they they want to throw money at it. Well, how about we throw money at making a pipeline, like creating a pipeline of people. And so then a lot of them have like hired several people. So the Denim Group, they were acquired by Coal Fire last year. They hired a ton of our grads and then mentored them into like full-time, very experienced people. And so then a bunch of companies just have all been so some of our grads get jobs before they finish, which is so exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a really, they still have to finish though, because <laughs> I'm a stern teacher. Um, but yeah, it's been this really beautiful process. And then all these other companies wanted to support We Hack Purple and what we were doing. And they're like, well, I'll just buy a whole bunch of scholarships from you. And I know you'll do something good with it. So like, here's 5K or whatever. And so a lot of, especially startups were very supportive and it have, it's just been really amazing. So if someone wants to contribute and, and maybe fund somebody going through the program, how would they go about doing that? 
Uh, you go to academy.wehackpurple.com and then you look at all the courses and one of the courses is called the Diversity Scholarship. And so they're $999 and you buy one for one person and then we give you, we give two extra away. So there's three for one whenever someone does that because that's the cost basically of doing it um, and supporting the student through their whole path because there's support and other questions and all those things, right? And um, yeah, lots of individuals, and lots of individuals were just like, I'm just going to PayPal you the money. Like you just do it. I'm like, okay, but I have to track this because I'm still like, we're still right. technically a business. <laughs> Minor yeah, details. It's been super like really wonderful, if that makes sense. And the yeah. We Hack Purple Academy, we used to charge money for it, but then the Academy started making more money. So now the community's free. And so more and more people are joining the community. And we have people mentoring other people within the community. And we've started doing like this public speaking thing. So like give your first talk ever. And then the community shows up and cheers the person on. Oh, yeah, wow. it's been like, really amazing. That, that's really cool. And I think, you know, doing stuff like that actually makes everything worthwhile because I, I find for myself, like actually be able to give back to somebody actually makes me feel better about what I'm doing in, in the industry as a whole. Um, so tell me a little bit about Neurolegion. So Neurolegion is now called Bright Security. They changed their name two or three weeks ago. And I've been on their advisory board for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And they are about, well, they, by the time this is aired, they have acquired We Hack Purple. <laughs> and so We Hack Purple is like we did, we did some workshops together in 2020, and then we did more stuff together in 2021. And they're like, you know, we just raised a bunch of money. What if, both of our companies became just like one company. <laughs> um, and so the plan is to start making a lot of things free awesome. uh, from We Hack Purple and making way more courses and educational content that's just free for literally everyone so that we can just like break down those barriers. And what they do is they create a DAST and the idea of their dynamic scanner is that it's for software developers. So like a thing that frustrated me when I joined security is like, why do you write everything in security words? If we want software developers to use this and software developers to fix this, why don't we talk to them how they talk to each other? Like your session ID should be ephemeral. I'm like, that's garbage. First of all, that's not specific enough for them to fix any sort of bug. And second of all, like, why are you being vague? Like what they want is my session ID will expire every 15 minutes of unuse, or if it is used every 60 minutes, it must be 28 characters. The characters must be generated using blah. And like, do you know what I mean? And I felt like a lot of the tools out there were not, they were serving experts. They're serving right. security experts. So for instance, like if I take burp suite for a drive as a person that was a pen tester, like it's like a scalpel in a surgeon's hand. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, but not everyone has time to become an expert. And so what if you're like, I just want to press play and make sure nothing explodes. Um, yeah. And so that is a thing that we've been working on like closer and closer and closer. And I guess like we're very close now because we're one organization and, and they knew that my dream was to make it, we have purple free. Um, so some, some people want to like own their own yacht and be like super rich. And, and I'm not saying that I want to be poor, but, I like what I wanted to do with We Hack Purple was change our industry and like break down some of those barriers so people could actually join in and actually do really excellent application security. And so that's why I wrote the book. 
I think I've made $8,000 from the book so far. <laughs> and it took me like 10 zillion years to write it or maybe like 9,000, but not very much money. And it's a bestseller, right? <laughs> and so like you do these things because you really are passionate and you want to change your industry. And so like them coming in and basically like giving me that helping hand up, if that makes sense. Like I was like, I'm only coming if, if it can be free. And they're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. So the book, um, I know you're a bestseller with the book and I think that's pretty awesome. Um, writing a book is so intimidating. Uh, I don't know how you, how you got through the process. So tell me about that process and what it took to, to get it from point A to the shelf. Okay. So it all started with this guy named Brock that worked at Microsoft. So he dared me to start a blog. He's like, I dare my entire team to start a blog and to write one blog post a week for a month. And if you don't have at least 10 readers by then, like you win. I can't remember what we would win. And I was like, well, what do, what do we get? What do you get if we win? And he's like, I get a person on my teammate who has an awesome blog. And I was like, hmm, okay, this is a pretty good dare. I'm gonna, I'm like, I'm gonna so show him. And I don't know how to, like, this might sound really dumb. And in retrospect, maybe, but I didn't think anyone would want to read it. So I wrote my first blog post. I wrote another one and I did the four that he said. And then I had, I had a couple hundred readers almost immediately. And I was like, seriously? And so then I wrote this blog series about a talk I'd given. So it was called Pushing Left Like a Boss because I think I'm funny. And it was about, you know, the idea of the system development life cycle and where we could add security to it. And, and just basically like steps that you could try to do at home. And it ended up being 21 parts. And then people started writing me and saying, do you want to write a book? And I was like, oh, is this email to the wrong person? I'm sorry. I just, and I just kept thinking that. And so um, this guy from Wiley, Jim Menatel, who ended up becoming my publisher, he wrote me and he's like, I bet you have more to say. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you know that like a certain number of people will read your blog, but when you're a published author, you can add a zero to that of the level of exposure you'll get. You're not gonna make a ton of money, but you will share your message with that many more people. And he's like, writing a book is hard. I'm like, well, I learned French as an adult and I'm dyslexic, so I'm learning disabled and it's extremely difficult. Like, like you can, it's very, very difficult. And I'm like, and I did that. So I feel like I can do a lot of things. And so he set out a schedule for me, which I, I, I screwed up and then I screwed up the next one. I screwed, but then eventually, uh, so the book did come out like four or five months late because I spent more time writing it than expected. Mostly, okay, not writing it. So I was awesome at writing, mm -hmm. like editing. Sorry. Editing is so Sorry. hard and technical editors. So basically what I did was, is I hired my biggest troll as my technical editor. Yeah. So he would always pick apart my articles and he would always be like, you know, there's this nuance that you missed, or there's this very, very advanced security version you didn't offer. And I was like, Dom, you are being a perfectionist. And he's like, we have to be, we have to tell the whole story, Tanya. And he was like, very, like, it didn't matter what I did. He would like give me feedback and it would be accurate feedback because he is a genius. Mm -hmm. He's very, very experienced in AppSec, but he was also just like so meticulous. And I was like, would you be my, would you, would you be my tech? And he's probably like expecting me to write him and tell him to go to hell. Right. 
and, and then he said yes and that was awesome but it was hard to receive such intense criticism and like I remember writing him at one point and I'm like okay I feel like you're hurting my feelings at this point <laughs> um but as a result of hiring so then I got him and then I got another person that's his friend who's also amazing and between the two of them they they were so I had to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite I have not had a single person be able to dispute a single point in my entire book and it's 225 pages wow like no one has been able to disprove a single thing there's been small grammatical errors like oh it says is and it should be ah but there's been no major errors in the entire book which is like I was expecting to have I don't know about you but being a woman on the internet people like to criticize us and so I was expecting people to be like Rah! um and so far no one's been able to find any technical errors I've had people say like oh I wish you would like dive deeper into this or that and I'm like oh that's a great idea I should um but yeah it so it was so writing the book super awesome I loved that part technical edits I found it really hard on the ego and just yeah researching again and again and again and then partway through the book um an old security header kind of got got killed so the x xss protection header it turns out that there are vulnerabilities involved with it and it's only for backwards compatibility and then it turns out like modern apps could be attacked with it and so then a whole bunch of us had this huge discussion about it online and we all decided that we're just gonna kill that security header and i'm like do i really have this much power Awesome. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was like, how, I was just like, okay, hi guys. So then I wrote about it in my book and I was just like, wow. And now I will quote my book to people. And I'll be like, if you look at page 99, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's a fact now. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then in my technical, like, so you have to give evidence of all of your things. And so then in two separate things, because my career has gotten longer and longer, I was like, I actually got to quote myself as my reference for some things i was like oh uh, i was like because this was invented at this time by i was like oh that was me <laughs> that's that's pretty um, cool yeah, now, yeah. I, I don't know about you but like looking at something that you've done in the past as it's relevant now is kind of weird to begin with like i, I remember i wrote the uh, i wrote a screenplay for Alyssa knight and then seeing it on imdb i was like just kind of like weird you know because it was something i did but there it is in front of so, oh, yeah. so we talked about social media and that's kind of where I ran into you is on social media. And so that's been a hot topic on a couple podcasts um, that I've done is social media and the craziness that ensues, um, the, the trolling, the just the craziness. How do you deal with with trolls and just some of the garbage that goes on on social media? Um, so I have a person that moderates my messages for me and takes out all the mean ones because I decided I was too sensitive and I couldn't handle that. And so I never receive any death threats as far as I know. <laughs> I, I never receive really mean emails um, because I decided it was worth it to me to pay a few hundred dollars a week to not have to see that because um, I learned that I was very, very sensitive. And if I want to remain sensitive, I decided it was worth that. Um, however, I do still like see the tweets that people send to me. And I think um, part of like, so I get compared to some of my colleagues that are women, I feel like I get kid gloves 
like people tend to be very gentle with me because I guess I put gentleness out there and I also don't trash things. Like I rarely say negative things about other, like this person is bad because blah. If I have a problem with someone, I will write a private message to them and be like, I don't like that this happened. Can we talk about it? Well, a lot of people will say bad things about people behind their, their back. I tend to say good things about people behind their back. Like I had a conference write me and they're like, so we just had the third speaker tell us that they applied for the only reason because you say so many good things about us. And I just want to, you to know that we know you're saying good things about us behind our back and we really like it. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. But if you put that out there into the world, you're more likely to get goodness back. But still, there are people where they're they have some sort of anger that they want to get out for whatever reason. And sometimes I have to remember, I'm like, this isn't about me. I didn't do an unkind thing to this person. And like, they're having a day for whatever reason and like, try to refrain that. And also like, I think that, I think that social media is weird. Like I see a lot of, so I've had people write me and they'll point out other influencers and say, that person has no idea what they're talking about. Are you going to call them out? And I'm like, no. I don't have energy for that in the world. And I know that there's some people that speak at conferences and all they do is give these fluffy talks where they're basically just regurgitating the news to us with pretty slides. And I'm like, I don't, I don't need to do that. That's not my work and that's not my job. And also like whatever that person is doing, that's their business. And like, maybe they're really good at, at Twitter and tweeting and getting attention. And maybe they aren't really great at security, but if conferences want to book them, that's not my problem. Right. That's not right. a problem. Right. I'm competent. I'm very proud of that. Um, but like someone else being incompetent, that's not my problem unless they work for me. Exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. And I have yeah. to say my team right now are A plus. So that's awesome. Yeah, so oh gosh, the best team. They're so great. <laughs> I've had I've had to deal with, with the, the garbage that goes on with social media a couple of times, but I found that if I just like ignore it and just keep doing what I'm doing they end up falling off and going away. Um, but that's like one thing I'm really passionate about because I see how social media influences kids and, and how it affects kids and, and, you know, their psyche and the damage that it does to them as far as like bullying and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. it's, it's devastating to watch, you know, I watched an 11 year old literally just break down over things that were said on the internet. And to me that, that really struck me. It was like, wait a minute, as an industry, we created this, this whole, this whole, you know, I guess, ecology on social media, that's us. We created that disaster. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just hope someday it finds a way to write itself on course um, because it is a, a very powerful tool, um, but it also could be like a very powerful weapon too. Um, and I, I always tell kids, you know, you, you really have to be responsible and look at things as if it's not real. You can disconnect from your computer and you're a completely different person. You know, don't get absorbed into this, this craziness. I feel like influencers and people who are quite famous, mm -hmm. I feel like there's a certain level of responsibility that we should have, but no one can enforce that on us. Right. But like, for instance, um, so I'm an attractive lady, but I, post photos where I'll have messy hair too, because I look like that. I don't always look like makeup and lights and right. really good camera angles, right? And I feel like it's important to people to see 
all the sides. So like I posted some, I had some new press photos done. I look really good. And then on Sunday I was out with my, like I have a wood chipper. And so there's like a picture of me covered in sawdust and I'm like wearing a hard hat and I'm like, ah, right. And I feel like, um, sometimes, especially I guess on Facebook, not to pick on one social media platform above the rest. However, it is my least favorite. Um, I feel like people will always put their best perfect foot forward where everything's just great and everything's amazing. And my life is roses all the time. And I feel like if we can share thing, when things aren't going as well or how hard things are or how much work something was, et cetera, and be like a bit more transparent about things, especially as people have more and more followers and we're more and more clear about that. I feel like then people can have a better picture because I've had people say like, oh, well, how did you do that? And then I'll, I'll tell them how much work I put into something. And people are like, oh, well, you were just naturally always good on stage. I'm like, no, I was a professional entertainer for 17 years. Wow. I've been on stage. So like and then I started public speaking. And so I've been on stage for 24 years. Basically, there was one year where I wasn't on stage because um, my wow. music career like winded down a fair bit and my speaking, I guess maybe there was overlap, but so I've been and like, and I did acting when I was younger, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm like, so actually no, like it took me a zillion years to become that good at it. Or when they're like, oh, like you just like, like people suggested to me that I just let someone interview me a few times and then have someone just write the book for me and put my name on it because that would just be way easier. And like, well, I get like, that's not the way I run my life. If I put my name on something, I, I mean it. And I've had people offer to have my name put on things I didn't write. They're like, you know, we, you could co-author this book. I'm like, I, I, but I didn't do that. I, I'm confused, please repeat. Um, and there's lots of people that get those offers and they say yes. Right. And so I feel like if we could be a bit more transparent or a bit more open and honest about things, like maybe then when someone sees someone being awful to someone on social media. Okay. So one other point on this. So okay. when I was younger, I was in college and I did class project. I'm basically the project manager of our, because we're learning about project management. She assigned hundred percent of the work to me because I was the best coder. But there's four of us in the project. <laughs> and so I started failing my other classes because I was doing this whole project. And it was a two, it was a one year project. So it went over multiple semesters. And so I, I went to the big boss and I was like, at like uh, the class, and I was like, I gotta quit, I gotta drop out because I'm gonna fail every other class. And he was like, Why? And so then she had written a thing saying I should be expelled because I didn't obey her and she's my project manager. And like, she actually came into one of my classes and yanked me out of, physically yanked me out of a class. And she's wow. like, you should be working on this project. You're not allowed in that class anymore. And I was like, what? And I was like, and I'm like 21 or something. I'm just a kid, right? And anyway, so she wrote a letter demanding that I be expelled from the school. And then the guy was like, wow, she's awful. She fails. Um, and then I got a chance to repeat and, and do it with another team. And it was much better anyway. And so I was complaining to this guy. I'm like, oh, like, she's so mean to me, 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 me. And he's like, Tanya, did you ever think this wasn't about you? Did you ever think that the whole world does not revolve around Tanya? And it's actually that she was so worried, first of all, that she couldn't code it herself and that she couldn't count on the other team members to do a good job. And you're the like, 
and that there were all these other factors and like he's like she wrote like this three page manifest about why you should be expelled and it was actually all about her um I didn't get to read it, but that's what the professor told me. It was all about how her life was really awful and she was having these challenges, so I should be expelled. And he's like, do you ever think that this is actually all her problems? And she exploded at you, but she would have exploded at anyone that was close to her. And she probably exploded at the other two team members too, and they just didn't tell you. And like, maybe it's all something that's happening in her and it's not okay what she did, but like, don't blame yourself, dude. You did the best you could. And I was like, and so since then when someone like it reacts in such a huge way where i'm it comes out of nowhere i think about it and i'm like do my actions justify that type of thing no there's probably something else wrong and then like and then you can actually ask them are, are you okay one of my friends used to be a a bouncer and he said like this guy came in and he's this huge man and he wanted to pick a fight and he's like screaming and screaming and he just put his hand on his arm. He's like, are you okay, man? And he's like, my, my fiance left me. And this huge man just started crying. And he ended up like hugging him and holding him and like showing him out and getting him a cab. And sometimes it has nothing to do with you. Right. And like, if you can remember that, and I realize like people saying awful things about you on the internet feels bad. And I'm not saying your feelings are invalid. But sometimes it comes from a place where they are so much worse off than you and they are torturing themselves way more than they are you. Yep. And yep. if we can have, it sounds weird to have empathy for someone that's being cruel to you, but it can make you feel a lot better. Yeah, that, and that's like the ultimate form of forgiveness too, is having that empathy for somebody like that. Um, and, you know, it, you, you make a very good point. Like a lot of the bullies for kids, you know, have gone through that. You know, those bullies were bullied by somebody else or maybe they're being bullied at home. You know, you never know. I always tell people, you know, before you lash out at somebody, why don't you take a step back and think about what they may be going through at that point in time? Um, because it could be something really disastrous that we just don't know about. You know, you never can tell what's behind the curtain unless you ask that person. Um, but yeah, so the, the social media stuff, you know, a lot of us spend our, our life on social media especially, you know, with being leaders in the industry and what I found, and this is really interesting. And I found it last year um, was when I was the most genuine and giving people insight into my personal struggle or, or something that had happened to me personally and relating that, let's say on LinkedIn, those, those articles or those posts would get 10 times more viewers than something I would post professionally. And what I found is that we disconnect ourselves as people so much that people really find that valuable to have that personal connection. Oh yeah, I totally agree with you. And also like sometimes there's a lot of feelings involved in the actions that we take professionally, if that yes. makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote this article called Jobs in InfoSec and I wrote it because I was trying to explain not everyone's a pen tester, the firewall guy or the risk person. Right. And there's actually tons of jobs. And, and then I described each one and it got 43,000 reads the first month. And my previous top was like 4,000. And I was like, whoa. And it still gets hundreds and hundreds of reads every month. Yeah. And it's because I tapped into a feeling that a lot of people have. And that's bewilderment and being yeah. overwhelmed with like they're excited by cybersecurity. There's all these different and they don't know what the jobs are. So I just described them just 
you know, forensics, like you go and you check what happened after a security incident, try to figure out what was going on and what damage was caused. And then you usually try to help them fix it. And people are just like, wow, like, yeah, it took me years of talking to different people to figure out that's what that job was because I wasn't doing it. Yeah, exactly. And then when you, when you look at the mind map, so I've, I've seen people map out biologically what cybersecurity looks like and just looking at the, the graphic gave me a headache. I was like, there's that many positions in cybersecurity. It's tremendous. I mean, it's phenomenal. I know when I was a software developer, like when I started, you were a software developer. <laughs> and then you might be a Windows programmer or you might be a web programmer. Uh, and then you might be a, a, like a Ruby programmer or a Python programmer, but now you're front end, back end, software architect and all that. But then when I went into cybersecurity, I'm like, this is crazy. Crazy. There's so many different jobs and even within AppSec. So like sometimes you, you are the entire AppSec team mm -hmm. and that's cool. But sometimes you're the security architect. Sometimes you're the threat modeler. Sometimes you're the person that writes all the policies. Sometimes you're that per like the DevSecOps engineer. You're the person like putting things in pipelines and making sure you don't break builds by accident. Mm -hmm. And like there's so many different cool jobs within the field. And yeah, just like it's like you're pulling back the curtain being like, Hey, you want to see the truth? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think a lot of people need that too, because a lot of the kids that I've talked to, um, when we talk about cybersecurity and, and that career path, the first thing that always comes to mind is I want to be a pen tester. And I, you know, I'm like, well, why, why do you want to be a pen tester? Well, I've seen this on TV. I've seen this in the movies and, and it's, you know, it's this, that, and the other. And I'm like, okay, no, no, Let, let's take media out of it because it's not that sexy. It's really not. And then I explained to them the other positions and, and people were like, well, wait a minute, you know, I draw really good. Is, is there a position for that? And I'm like, yeah, graphic design. We need all kinds of graphic design. Um, but what I found really cool is that like people coming from other industries into our industry, um, I've seen lawyers, uh, healthcare workers, you know, policemen. And I think it's really awesome that we're attracting that, that type of industry into our own little circle. Remember you were talking about how you're very passionate about veterans. Veterans are so good for coming into cybersecurity because of their previous experience, especially with being able to see threats and risks that the rest of us have just never experienced before. Exactly. Yeah. I have found a lot of veterans where I'm just like, oh, I would never have thought like, oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, depending upon what they did in the military, some of those skills might also transfer over, not just the mindset. And so, yeah, I've seen a lot of programs to try really hard to kind of, I guess the word is like attract them, like over here, over here, cyber, hello. Exactly. <laughs> look at us, we like you. <laughs> I mean, look at Ken Underhill. Ken Underhill was like a field medic in the military. And now he's one of the industry leaders. You know, it's just, it's weird how it attracts different people and, and where they fall into the grooves uh, of cybersecurity. But I, I don't think we do enough for the kids to explain those things because I, a lot of them are being driven by the media. And it's just like, no, let me re-educate, you know, forget everything you, you, you've already learned about what cybersecurity is and let me tell you what it really is. And then they kind of change a little bit and they get more interested. But I love talking to kids about cybersecurity because they're so fresh and they're like really excited. And I see some of that in some of the uh, veterans that I've worked with as well. You know, they, oh, well, wait a minute, that equates to what I did over here in the military. Mm -hmm. And so that, that excitement, I think, is what keeps me going, you know, seeing other people coming into the industry and finding that, that groove. It's really cool.
I have been invited many, many times to speak about basically, especially to get girls and young women into, they're like, just get them into tech. I'm like, no, I'm definitely going to try to make them all app tech engineers. I'm sorry, but I'm really biased. And if you're not okay with me trying so hard to convince them that my field is the one they definitely need to work in, then you need someone else. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like, um, I, I feel like if more of us did a bit more outreach, because so sometimes I'll suggest to someone, you should give a talk, your job's super interesting. And they'll all say, oh, no, not me. No one wants to hear what I have to say. And I'm like, do you love your job? Because then we do. If you hate your job, no, we don't want to hear about that. Um, and you should also find a job you love because like, I, I don't know how to say this, but if I didn't do AppSec, like there's so many other jobs in cyber that I would want to try. Yeah. Like, I think forensics is really cool. I think threat hunting is fascinating. I think just responding to incidents, it's like the adrenaline rush is amazing. Like there's so many cool jobs. Yeah, There's there's a lot of really cool stuff. And fortunately with the, with the company I'm with now, I get to try a lot of that. Um, so I come from a pen testing background and I help build socks or whatever. Uh, but with this new company I'm with, I've been there for about seven months now. Um, I've been involved in incident response and forensics and threat hunting. And it's just, it's so, it's, it's so cool to see all aspects of it come together. Um, and being in the industry for, for over 20 years, everything I see is still new. You know, it's not like, oh, I've seen this before. You know, it's, everything is brand new. Um, and I think it's important to, to like your job. Like you said, like, you know, if, if I woke up one morning and didn't like my job, then that would probably be my last day. Uh, because my, my thought is I spend most of my time working. Um, and I, I have so many hats that I wear. If I didn't enjoy and love what I do with complete passion, then I would have to move on to something else because it's, life is too short to spend it in a role that you don't want to be in. I agree. And especially, so I, I feel like, we're spoiled in cybersecurity because there's so much opportunity. Like once I keep telling people, once you have your first role, stay there at least one year. And then the world is literally your oyster. Yep. It's literally your oyster. I was joking when I, when I left Microsoft that like a white van was going to stop and just throw me in and they, and it would be people just wanting me to do AppSec because it's so hard to hire for AppSec. Mm -hmm. And then when I started the Academy and people were hiring people that hadn't even completed the program yet, they're like, then we won't be able to afford them when they're done. And I'm like, Whoa. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And Microsoft is a really interesting institution as well, because I think Microsoft gives a lot of people that push and, and that kind of elevation to, to go out and conquer bigger things. Um, just from my short visit there, like I, rem I remember when they brought the smart car without a driver that picked me up and took me to the different buildings. And I thought, <laughs> this is mind blowing. I mean, this is 2005. What is going on here? This is like the Jetsons. Um, and then all the people there were really cool. and the culture was really different than what I was used to. Uh, but back then they did the different types of uh, interviews too. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a technical interview. It was more of a psychological profile. Um, okay. I don't think they do those anymore. I talked to a uh, video who is another friend of mine. She works. So she said, no, we don't do those anymore. But back then uh, one of the questions they asked me, I was in this really cluttered room. And this lady says, uh, I'm thinking of an object in this room. And it's your job to figure out what that object is by asking the least amount of questions. And I was, I was mind blown. I was like, why, wh what is this for? What am I doing here? But they, they, 
they were on a different level, even back in 2005, um, even the way that they looked at, at potential employees and, and the mindset and what it took to, to be part of Microsoft. Uh, I found that really interesting. Uh, Google is another one of them that, that was on a different level even back then. But I've seen some great things from people who came from Microsoft back in the day, and it's, it's really impressive. So, well, Tanya, it's been awesome having you on, and I definitely want to uh, catch up with you again, you know, maybe a month or two from now and, and see where, where everything's at. And I'm really excited for you and the news that, that you have coming through the pipeline. Um, any last thoughts before we shut things down? I'd really like to invite people to join the We Have Purple community. It's free. There's no upsell. So there's no thing that you can buy in there. Everything is just free because the more people that join, the more value there is for every person. And we don't want you to join and then do nothing. We want you to meet new friends. I want you to do your first talk. I want you to write your first article. So like some people are like publishing an article in there for the first time. And so any member can do that. As long as you follow the code of conduct, you can just share whatever you want. Or like, I read this article and I like it because, and it sounds weird, but I wanted to make my favorite place on the internet. And I did. <laughs> and, um, and so if you want to meet people who are nice, who are interested in security, that's where we're at. And so it's just community.wehackpurple.com. And I, I suggest and encourage all the listeners for the Haunted Hacker podcast to go and join. Um, definitely the Haunted Hacker stamp of approval for that, for sure. Uh, again, Tanya, it was awesome. And uh, with that, I'll shut things down. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, listeners. Uh, you know, if you follow, make sure you subscribe. And if you, where can people find you on Twitter, Tanya? Oh, I'm at She Hacks Purple on every platform that will let me do. So on LinkedIn, I'm Tanya Janka, but everywhere else I'm She Hacks Purple. So awesome. if you look that up, I'll be there. Cool. And I'll put all the stuff in the show notes and, as well as a link to uh, your team and, and what you're doing and, and everything that we talked about here. So with that, I'll talk to you guys next time. And uh, again, thank you so much. Bye.